interesting survey to do, uh, maybe on our way out the door, or maybe better as we were coming in, what Christmas is supposed to be. Um, you know, Christmas is supposed to be a lot of things for it to be Christmas. Um, you know, and when it's not what it's supposed to be, sometimes you feel a bit disappointed, maybe a little uh, upset. You know, there's supposed to be certain foods that are served at Christmas, and just to allay your fears, all of them have been served in my house, to be sure. Um, certain traditions are supposed to be kept. Certain experiences are supposed to be uh, felt. There are supposed to be certain people present at the table uh, for Christmas to be Christmas. Um, for my money, it's supposed to be cold. Um, not getting much of that, it would seem, uh, today and, and tomorrow. It's supposed to be uh, a lot of things. And, and we understand also that, there, that there, this little word home uh, for many years has been injected into the Christmas formula. You know, I'm supposed to be home. You're supposed to be home. Whatever home is, wherever home is, we're supposed to, to be there. Um, and I would make a case, and I want to make a case over the next few minutes, that actually that impulse is actually rooted in the first Christmas, but in a way you may not initially think. Um, we've been reading through the Gospels over the last few minutes in the Gospel narratives, uh, giving us the history of the events that we are celebrating here tonight and will be tomorrow. Uh, but I want to read to you a, a text from one of the letters, one of Paul's letters, uh, the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, written some roughly 60 years after Jesus' birth. Uh, Paul is writing to a church in uh, the city of Philippi. Uh, if you want to read along with me, feel free. It's after the Gospels, after Acts, after Romans, after the Corinthian letters. If you're in my college and careers class, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, Gentiles eat pork chops. Um, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm trying to help you. Bear with me. Uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 5 through 11, sort of picking up midstream and a larger thought that uh, Paul has here. Uh, many New Testament scholars will tell you that they believe that this is an excerpt, actually what Paul is doing here is quoting from an early, early Christian hymn that uh, there within, by the mid-first century, uh, the church was already beginning to compose these. And Paul is quoting from this, it would seem, here at midway through chapter 2. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Hear now the word of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these beautiful, uh, familiar songs that we have had the opportunity to sing for just a few minutes uh, here for these uh, texts that we have had the opportunity to, to read and listen to. Um, 
we, uh, we really could, this would have been time well spent if we just shut it down right now and, and headed home. Uh, but we thank you that we've got a few more minutes uh, to spend here in Philippians 2. And we ask that you would give us uh, the ears we need to hear and that you give me the lips I need with which to speak. Uh, we thank you for this time, this occasion, for allowing us to be here. Uh, we are trusting now that you will do with these few minutes what you know wisely is best. We pray this in the name of the one who has come um, as us, for us, Jesus. Amen. Well, you know, of course, Christmas obviously has generated a lot of songs uh, through the ages. Um, you've got the Christmas songs and what I'll just call the Xmas songs. So what I mean by that are the, the gospel-oriented songs and then the celebration-oriented songs, the ones that are you know, stemming from the text, the events, that, the, the, you know, really, truly what Christmas is about, and then, of course, the songs that, you know, just kind of the, the cool, fun, um, holiday-ish kind of songs. And we love to sing all of those, and they strike a familiar chord with all of us. And, and I want to read to you lyrics from one, I think it's pretty apparent where you'll, you'll see where this one, which side of that divide uh, this comes. Uh, I'll be home for Christmas. I'm dreaming tonight of a place I love even more than I usually do. And although I know it's a long road back, I promise you, I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents under the tree. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light beams. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams, and it goes on just a little bit from there, you know, depending on who's singing it. Um, give you a quick history lesson on this. Uh, it was 1942. Uh, World War II is, is, is the throes of it. Um, the author is, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she lives in Brooklyn at this time. Uh, I need to understand that, you know, context, historical context, the nation is feeling the separation, the anxiety, the pain of a European theater and a Pacific theater and the, the uh, angst that is going on with all of that. And this, this song is just powerfully written. Just, just It captures something of, of the, the angst of a, of a separation, the soldier, right? I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams, as well as... The, the family, the friends, the loved ones back home, and they, of course, are, are singing this as, as well. There's a question. It's just, ugh, you don't know how it's going to be yet resolved, how it's going to be answered. When are we going to be re reunited? When is this war going to be over? Will we be reunited? And will we actually win this war? This is written in 1942, folks. People don't know. Now, Bing Crosby was the first of the crooners to sing this, and that was in uh, fall, winter, uh, 1943. It was his, one of his greatest hits. Uh, just exploded, uh, and then has been recorded who knows how many times uh, since then. Now, you, you may think, now we, you know, the worship team didn't have it lined up, you know, in, in what we sang just a moment ago, because you could make a case that it's a Christless carol, Right? Because Jesus is nowhere to be found, except, you know, in the word Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Well, okay, Jesus is there. I got that. But, I mean, you know, there's not really, there's nothing about the nativity. There's nothing about the magi. There's nothing, there's none of that. It's just, you know, this and that, what I described a moment ago. 
What I want you to just sort of think with me for a moment is, is it as necessarily Christless as we may immediately think? Uh, it, it seems to me it strikes a deep chord within the listener, within the singer, for a reason. For a reason that's worth our thinking about here this, this evening. And if I could just put it this way, I think it goes, the reason goes something like this. And it, it, again, it's going back to that very first Christmas. Jesus there, laid in a manger, come as us for us. And it, the reason is something like this. Or the principle, echoing forth from all that, is something like this. In order for us to return home, Jesus had to leave his. In order for us to return home, Jesus had to leave his. I want to think about that just here together for a few minutes. Now, how did he leave home? There's two ways you can answer that. One's on the horizontal plane, pretty clear, reading the gospel narratives. Mary and Joseph have to leave Nazareth. They're like exiles, They're nearly homeless, you could say, to, to a degree. I know there's limits in which you can push that, but... Uh, they leave Nazareth because of the census. They're going down to Bethlehem. No room in the inn. Herod gets word of what's going on. Then they're off to Egypt for some number of years after that. And then they're finally making their way back up to, to Nazareth um, where Jesus spends his growing up years. So certainly, in, and then, oh, goodness gracious, then Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. He has no home. He has no place all through his years over the, you know, during his earthly ministry. How does he leave home? Well, he has no home. He has no home. There's another way you could say that, though, and that is just the incarnation itself. And here I just would ask you to kind of step back, take the 10,000-level you know, overview here, and think about what's going on. Jesus, I was, I was just, I'll just give you some notes. This is not cleaned up. There's really very little order here in terms of priorities. Something I was writing down in a devotional. I was having a day or two ago thinking about this very thing. Jesus, what did it mean for you to move from heaven to earth? From beauty to ugliness, from music to noise, from unity to hurt, from harmony to chaos, from recognition and honor to recognition to rejection and shame, from purposeful purposefulness to futility, from green to gray, from life to death, from a song to a cry. Jesus, for us to return home, he had to leave his. And I think to the degree to which we grasp that, it will deepen and inspire a real Christmas celebration, um, encouraging Deepening wonder and worship. Three quick things I want you to think about with me just uh, as we go here. Three things uh, that this message, this idea, this concept of Jesus leaving his home that we might be, be able to return to ours um, so that we could be home for Christmas, if I could put it that way. Um, we can be gladdened by this, or at least we ought to be. Uh, this, Everything we're talking about, everything we've sung of, everything we've read of, is not escapism. This is not reality denial. This is reality engagement. This is not a coping mechanism. If you know anything about real biblical Christianity, there's so much there that makes you uncomfortable. I don't know how you could say it is a coping mechanism. Um, this is not escapism. This is not a coping mechanism. This is, this is something that connects. It hits the ground. 
Jesus, again, he know he is coming as the stranger and the alien, as the outcast and among the poor, which at least does these two things. On the one hand, it informs and shapes our ethics because we are called therein to move towards the poor and the outcast just as he was. But even beyond that, it doesn't just push us in that direction. It also inflames our hearts and should encourage us because of the degree this evening that you feel like an outcast or the poor, you can know that he knows. You can know that he knows exactly what that is to whatever degree or depth that may be because he left home for us. He left home for us. There's something here to be gladdened by. There's something here to be assured by. Um, you think in terms of the kinds of questions that the shepherds are asking, what kind of Savior is this as they look in the manger? A manger? It's a baby, and not just a baby, but a baby in a manger. And nobody else is there but them. What kind of Savior is this? The Magi? Well, I mean, we sang, what child is this? What child indeed is this? Even if you make that uppercase C, what child is this? I mean, wonder of, of wonders. The questions and the answers is no, in no way is he what we expected. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that, you know, in, in, over the course of Old Testament history, the, uh, the, the people, yes, I mean, the prophets, they spoke and they spoke and they spoke and it spoke and their expectations were so truncated in terms of what was actually going to happen because they just don't have room in their minds and their hearts for what Jesus is actually going to be and to do. What child is this? What kind of Savior is this? He, he can't... He, we put him in a box because he can't fit. He explodes the boxes. Well, the assurances. Well, I mean, it tells us something in terms of, well, I mean, I was reading in the Proverbs this past week how many times I saw in the course of that humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Jesus is the living embodiment of that. It tells us something as to what it means to live as his followers, live as his disciples. Humility has to come before honor. But if I can just push this a little further, it also tells us, and here's where that assurance comes in, how he feels about us. You know, he left home for you. He left home for me. He left home for us. There's assurance in that, in terms of how he feels about you. There's something here to be gladdened by. There's something here to be assured by. There's something here to be, can I just say, enabled by. We were having something of a discussion about this in the living room. Our living room this, past, this afternoon just sort of happened. Um, the, the impulse that we have, this is the uniqueness of this message, the impulse of the human heart is, I need to do something. If I'm going to fix my mess, especially if before God, in some way, shape, or form, I need to do something. And all the faiths, all the philosophies, all the religions of the world echo that. They're reverberations of that human impulse. Yes, you do need to do something, so do it. I mean, that's basically the, 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 the message of every worldview, every philosophy, every, every faith. 
And this is oftentimes said, now I don't know for sure who coined this phrase, but here's what we can be enabled by, is, is, is the fact that Christmas, the gospel, is not good advice, but good news. You get the distinction between those two things. Good advice is, right, that fits the groove of our human impulse. Do this. Good news is what's been done. Now live out of that. Live out of that. Now how does that enable anything? Because of the transformative effect that has upon our hearts and what C.S. Lewis referred to as the one true myth. Jesus coming. That takes root. That bears fruit. He left home, and that's what enables us to leave home too. He left home for you and for me so that we could then come home. That enables us to do all that this means, all the implications of what it means to be uncomfortable and follow Him. That enables us to then leave home, if you will, ourselves. So, back to the song. The song strikes a deep chord. I'll be home for Christmas. It reminds me something of uh, the old myths. I alluded to this already, but I come back, circle back on it. Many, uh, all the old stories, uh, the same themes, you know, you've got uh, great odds. Our, 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 our heroes, the protagonists, are up against great odds. Uh, terrible enemies, terrible odds, a great rescue that needs to take place. Our hero is going to risk it all for the one that he loves. Uh, there is a miraculous birth. There is a miraculous child. There's a great climactic battle that will resolve it all. Does that sound familiar? That's the theme of all the old stories. And this one. And this one. Now, it's often said by folks that, well, that's just because Christianity is just one in a crowd. It's just one among many others. Or historians want to say, well, it's because, you know, Christianity, all, all they were doing were just imitating all, imitating all the old pagan myths. Well, what if... What if you've got that reversed? What if you've got that flipped? What if there's a completely different answer to that? What if, what if in fact, this is the, the true story, and this true story is so profound that all the other ones are just echoes of it? All the other ones, can I just put it this way? It, it, this one is so true, so deep, so profound, that all the other stories and all the other storytellers can't help but have this come out. It just comes out in the grand stories that are told and passed down through the ages. Um, I'm thinking about you know maybe what it might be like around the Christmas tree for you tomorrow, or maybe it was earlier today. I don't know, in a few days. And, you know, sometimes you you have an idea as to uh, who's given the gift without even opening it, without even looking at the tag. You, you just have this sense, you know, the, the way it's been presented. Maybe the way it's been wrapped, maybe the, the look of the feel, the size, all, all that. You can just kind of tell it's from Uncle So-and-so or from Aunt So-and-so. It's just, you know, it's just basically the same old thing 
whatever that would be, same old theme again and again and again. It's something like that, again, with all the old stories, but not this one. There's something different. It's like you opened up this way. It looks different. It feels different. It is different. It's completely different. And you realize, my God, this didn't come up from the earth below. This came down from heaven above to transform everything on the earth below. Jesus, Jesus, in order for us to return home, left his for us. It's completely different and completely beautiful. And that's worth celebrating. And that's worth singing. And that's how we get home for Christmas. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for leaving your home. Home with the Father. To come here. To come as one of us. To come among us. To bring us home. Pray that you give us an, an eye for that. An ear for that even. In the stories. In the songs. Maybe even in the ones that don't tell it quite so straight. And don't tell it quite so clear. But maybe somehow still, because the story is so deeply true, it comes out because we just can't help ourselves. Thank you for coming. That we could come home. In your name we pray. Amen.